You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from His Word today. On Thanksgiving week, I preached on the thing that we should be the most thankful for, and that is the love of God. Last week, we preached about our love for God. Now this week, we're going to talk about the love that we should have for one another. God's love for us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's every one of us. We're all ungodly. Let's just admit it. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth. He demonstrated his love towards us in while we were yet sinners, Christ, what church? He died for us. God's love for us. Last week, our love for God. The most important thing that we can have in our lives is a love for God. That we are to love Him with all of our our soul and with all of our mind. We're to love Him. In that message last week, we talked about five loves that compete for our love for God. The Bible says men shall be lovers of their own selves. They will be lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, lovers of this present world, and they'll even love family more than they love God. And we have to fight against these competing loves because if we don't fight a good fight of faith, these competing loves will steal our heart away from God. So the love that God has for us, which is beyond measure, the love that we should have for God. And now in today's message, the second most important thing that we as a Christian can have in our lives is our love for one another. Think of that. The first most important, our love for God. The second most important thing that we can have in our lives is our love for one another. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus saith unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. The greatest commandment. This is the first and great commandment. And the second The second most important thing that we can have in our lives. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself on these two commandments. Hang all the law and the prophets. What an amazing statement. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless your word today as I preach and clear my voice and my thoughts and just help my thoughts to be your thoughts that I could communicate very clearly this second and greatest commandment, and that is we should love one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Do you know what the most frequent commandment is in all the Bible? Who knows what it is? Now you're going to know what it is. That we should love one another. Isn't that amazing that that is the most repeated of all of all of the commandments. The most frequent commandment in the Bible is that we should love one another. You know why I think that is? Because we have the greatest difficulty with that one. You would think it would be to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. But no, it's the second that is the most repeated in Scripture. Let me give you a few examples of this. and I'm not going to read the address here, just let me read the verses in. A new commandment, Jesus said, that I give unto you, that ye should love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. But as touching brotherly love, ye have no need that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God. May we be taught of God today to love one another. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit to unfeigned or unhypocritical love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. This is the message that we heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one one another. I could keep going and going and going and going with commandment after commandment that we should love one another as Christ has loved us. Remember as Jesus was teaching, remember when the disciples said, these are hard sayings. How many remember the disciples responding to Jesus teaching in that? Well, these are hard sayings. Have you ever heard the preacher preach a message that you say, man, that is a hard message to really get behind? Yeah. This commandment to love one another, this is a hard saying. Come on, let's admit it. There are some people that it is really hard to love. Give me an amen there. Well, it didn't have to be that loud, but okay. <laughs> love your neighbor. I have good neighbors. It's not hard for me to love my neighbors, but some of you have shared with me your neighbors. Love your neighbors, love your enemies. Love those who curse you and hate you and despitefully use you and persecute you. Seriously? These are hard sayings. Love the brethren, abide in love or remain in a state of love. Abound in love, continue in love. Have unfeigned love for one another. Love with a pure heart. Love fervently. Be sincere in your love. Walk in love. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husband and love your children. Our hearts are to be knit together in love one for another. We are to be provoking one another. Not to anger. 
But we are to be provoking one another to what? Love and good works. Love worketh no ill towards its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. What is love? If I were to call on you, I should do that sometime. Now, I won't call on Pastor Peterson. After that many years of walking with God and studying the Bible, he's going to have the right answer. But if I were to ask you to come up here behind the pulpit and give a definition of love, what would be your definition of it? I came across this, this is just a little excerpt from an article that I was reading. And I don't usually do this, but, but I'm going to do it today. I'm going to read a portion of this. It says, the world has no idea what true love really is. Amen to that. So we're not going to get the right answer from the world. Man's search to find and understand love is very obvious when you consider the numerous books, articles, and talk shows that are dedicated to this topic. People all around the world deem love as essential to being happy, and they look for it in many different places. Television and movies tell us what real love is or what it should look like. But somehow something has been lost in the world's definition of love. Love has been explored in countless poems, musical lyrics, other artistic endeavors. Love has been researched, investigated, and analyzed. There's this accepted mindset that love is indefinable. And it's left up to one's own personal understanding of what love is. That is, you can define love however you want to define it. That's really where we are today in the world. One of the most popular definitions of love is a connection, listen to this, is a connection between two people that makes you feel exceptionally good. Is that love? A connection between two people that makes you feel exceptionally good. Well, I will say this and comment to this little excerpt that I just read to you. Understanding love as the world understands it has caused much infidelity and breakup of marriages. Love is not a connection between you and another person that makes you feel good. Amen, preacher. This has become the basis of the argument for same-sex marriage. How many times have you heard, we ought to be able to love who we want to love? Why don't you understand something? According to the Bible, especially Romans chapter 1, that is a perverted, twisted love. That is not love as defined for us in the scriptures. And that is reprobation, the Lord calls it. Listen to what the Bible says about the wisdom of this world. Which I, it is so easy for us to be influenced by the wisdom of this world. We hear it over and over and over and over and over and over again, pretty soon we begin to accept it. 
And we've seen this in same-sex marriage, right, in the church. We've heard it over and over and over and over. Can't turn on the TV, can't turn on the news, can't read. Can't. I mean, it's just everywhere, and pretty soon we become numb to it, and we begin to embrace it, and now even the church is embracing this. It's craziness. But it says, The wisdom that descendeth not from above is earthly, sensual, the type of love we'll talk about this morning, sensual love, and devilish. So the devil is behind this whole propagation of the world's concept of love. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above, and I'm here to tell you, there's many sources of worldly wisdom, but there's only one source of God's wisdom, and that's this book we have right here in our lap right now. Praise the Lord for that. But the wisdom that descendeth from above is pure, peaceable, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness. Righteousness. How do we know what is right? We got a book that tells us what's right. How do we know what love is right and what, quote, love is wrong? We got a book that tells us, given to us by God himself. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. How many of you here know who Charles Schultz is? Get your hand up. You know who Charles Schultz is? <laughs> They're all older people. I know who he is. Did you raise your hand, Ben? You're, you're teetering there. You're, you're, you're teetering. <laughs> who was who Charles Schultz? All right. He was the author of Peanuts. He was a born-again Christian, if you didn't know. This was my dad's favorite comic strip. My dad would always watch the peanut specials when they were on TV. Every Sunday morning before my dad would preach, he would get the newspaper and he'd read peanuts. That's where he got his messages, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, this was a little comic strip here. Schultz has Lucy ask Charlie Brown this question. You know, what I don't understand, Lucy says to Charlie. And then she answers her own question. I don't understand love. Charlie Brown replies, who does? Lucy says, explain love to me, Charlie Brown. Charlie says, you can't explain love. I can recommend a book or a poem or a painting, but I can't explain love. Lucy comes back, well... Try, Charlie Brown, just try. Charlie ponders in deep thought for a moment. You can see him pondering. And then he says, well, let's say I see a beautiful, cute little girl walk by. Lucy quickly interrupts. Why does she have to be cute? Hmm. Why can't someone fall in love with someone with freckles and a big nose? Explain that. Charlie Brown pauses, and then he changes his story and says, well, maybe you're right. Let's say I see a girl walk by with a great big nose. Lucy interrupts him again. I didn't say she had a great big nose. By this time, Charlie Brown gives that woe is me sigh and says, you not only can't explain love, you can't even talk about it. <laughs> not with Lucy. You can't talk about it. Well, we're going to talk about it. Amen? Because we have someone who has defined it for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You knew I was going here. 
couple Wednesday nights ago, Ben, as he was concluding his message on the body of Christ, <clears throat> went to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He preached verse 1 through verse 3. He did a great job. How that without love we are nothing. We're going to see why the King James translators translated that word love, charity. All modern versions leave out the word charity and they just put the word love in there. But let's look at um, this passage of Scripture. I'm going to read verse 1. Let me see. I'll read down through verse 8 and then drop down to the last verse. Lo, I speak with the tongues of men of angels and have not charity. I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am what church? We're a big zero. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, being burned at the stake for Christ, and have not charity, it profiteth me what? Nothing. <coughs> charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not Easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, verse 13, and now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is what, church? Charity. charity. Paul called it the bond of perfection. When Ben brought his message, he shared that there are various, because we know the New Testament was written in, in Greek, translated for us into English, that there were three different Greek words for love. One is the word phileho, from where we get the word Philadelphia. Okay? The city of brotherly love. This is a brotherly love, this is a friendship type of love that is strengthened because of our shared mutual experiences. Phileho love. This is not the kind of love that's being spoken about here in 1 Corinthians 13. Then there's that eros love. That's that sensual. The wisdom descendeth not from above, but the earthly sensual. That's a sensual love or a sexual love. This is really, eros love is really how the world is defining love today. That feeling. Then there's the agape love. This is the love that God has for us and the love that we should have for one another. It's used to describe a pure love, a love that is unconditional and is an act of the will. It's important that you understand that statement. An act of the will. In this passage of Scripture, verse 4 through verse 8, we see two things that love is. We see nine things that love is not. And then we see five things that love does. And so what we're going to do, we're going to dissect this passage of Scripture today and we're going to look at each one of these. I think it's very, very important. Come on, stay awake. Because we can turn this air on. Man, I can get you shivering. You may not hear a word I say, but I'll keep you awake. As the Apostle Paul, in the inspiration of the Spirit of God, starts to define and describe for us what true love is, 
he starts out by using action words. And you will never find in this definition or description of love anything that has to do with feelings. Nothing. Now when we talk about love, we associate it with what? With feelings. Because we have been so programmed by the world to think this way. Love is a feeling. Love is not a feeling. It's an action that you have toward someone else. So he's not talking about feelings. That's why the King James translators of the Bible translated this word love, agape, what? Charity. Nothing to do with feelings. If you were to read a modern version today, you just read the word love and what kind is it? But what is charity? Charity is a... Yeah, come on. It's a what? It's an action. It's something that I do. It was interesting. A couple of days ago, I turned on the news and I was listening and they had a gentleman on there. He once was a Catholic priest and now he's left the priesthood and he's become a commentator and they call him a theologian. And they were talking about the season that we're in right now because this is a season basically of giving, right? And so they were, they were addressing the subject of charity. And do you know that every year, for the past 10 years, charitable giving has gone down, 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 and down in America? And so, of course, we want to research this, right? Why has charitable giving gone down and down and down each and every year? Does anybody have any idea? That's okay, just throw it out there. Anybody have an idea? What? We become more selfish as a society. They did bring that forth. But this was the number one reason why they said charitable giving is going down, because we're becoming less religious. Fewer and fewer people are attending church. And if you're not attending church and sitting under the preaching of the Word of God and hearing the wisdom which comes from God, then you're going to brace the wisdom that is what? Of this world, which is earthly, sensual, and devilish, and is focused on S-E-L-F. Interesting. May we see a reversal of that in the years to come. But the first two things, these action words that the apostle uses, again, let me, let me tell you, he's not just coming up with this his own idea. This is God's idea. This is what God says love is. Number one, he said, love is long-suffering. Love will last a long time. You know why long, love is long-suffering? Because God is long-suffering. The Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. Aren't you glad God is really patient with us? That he is long-suffering towards us. As God is long-suffering in his love towards us, we are to be long-suffering in our love towards others. How many of you know someone who really annoys you? 
That was almost unanimous. <laughs> How many of that is your husband? No, no, don't, don't. <laughs> Long-suffering. Towards people who annoy us, how many here have ever been offended by someone? How many here have ever been hurt? How many here have ever been taken advantage of? How many of you here have someone who irritates you? Wouldn't this world be wonderful without people? <laughs> Someone says, I'm trying to find a perfect church. Well, that perfect church wouldn't have any members, would it? then you'd make yourself miserable. But we are, we are, we are to be long-suffering towards all those kind of individuals. The next action word is love is kind. Are you a kind person? God is kind towards us. When I think of being kind, I just think of little random acts of kindness. You ever heard someone say, he is so nice? Or she is so nice? I had someone say to me here not too long ago, Pastor, you've gotten a lot nicer in your older age. <laughs> Those are the people that irritate you, you know what I mean? <laughs> As I thought about that <clears throat> being kind, I thought about all the precious children in our church. And um, I will say this, the kids of this church love me. They flock to me, they hug me. I don't come to the school here very often, but when I do come to the school, oh my goodness, I'm just overtaken by the kids just rallying around me. You know why? Because I'm really kind to our kids. And kids respond to kindness. You would not believe how far a candy bar can go. <laughs> Hugs and kisses, pass them out before you get the candy bar. Children will open their heart and give their heart to someone who's kind to them. As you know, I have 24 grandchildren right now, one's on the way. I'm closer to some of my grandchildren than I am others simply because I'm able to spend more time with them. Some of my grandkids I don't see as often as I would like. And it's just the way the busyness of life. But my grandchildren that are around me, they love me. You know why? Because I'm kind to them. I wasn't kind to their parents. My boys are nodding their heads up here. <laughs> but boy, am I kind to their kids. And you've always heard that. It's a grandparent's prerogative to spoil their grandkids. And it is. It is. I think it's important that we have the heart of our children here at church. I so want to keep the heart of our teenagers. I love our teenagers and I show our teenagers that I love them even when they're not doing right and not walking with the Lord 
and even when they're talking about me behind their, my back. And I know they do that. I want our teens here to know that I love them. Truth is, we all respond to people being kind to us, don't we? Well, those are two action words. Now he gives us nine things that love is not. Two things that it is. It's long-suffering and kind. Nine things that it's not. I guess I'm going to have to go through these quickly because of our time. Love does not envy, number one. It does not envy. It keeps its distance from envy. I am not going to envy that person. I'm not going to resent that person. He may be promoted ahead of me, or he may be receiving blessings. What does the Bible say? When one suffers, we should what? All suffer with it. When, when one rejoices, we all rejoice with it. You don't get envious over something that someone else has. It's, one of the, it's the last of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet anything. That is thy neighbor's. Love does not envy. Love does not vaunt. It's a word we don't use today. But it does not vaunt itself. You know what that literally means? It doesn't parade itself around. Boy, do we live in a culture where people parade themselves around. Love is anonymous. How many times do we do something for someone only simply because we want to be seen instead of doing it anonymously? Love doesn't have to be in the limelight. It doesn't have to have a pat on the back saying, good job, good job, good job. I spent a little bit of time yesterday in the afternoon. Um, That's what I do yesterday. We went to men's prayer breakfast. I came home. I had to butcher a couple deer. Then I um, said in my lazy boy, watched a little bit of the ball game and fell asleep. (laughs) Then I went back out hunting with Isaac. I was watching a ball game. There's nothing that describes vaunting itself more than a football game. <laughs> it's disgusting. The dances that they can do in the end zone. I'm thankful that still in high school and college, that's considered unsportsmanlike conduct. But we all have a tendency to want to vaunt ourselves, parade ourselves around. Next one, love is not. Number three, the third thing, love is not. Love is not puffed up. Puffed up, arrogant. Self-focused, a big head. I 
both this parading itself around and being puffed up, what's the root of that? And the pride of life runs deeply in the heart of every one of us. That's not love. How many have ever heard of William Carey? William Carey was considered the founder of modern missionary movement. Today he is honored and respected worldwide for his missionary outreach. He came from a very humble place and he was a shoe repairman when God called him into the ministry. Once he was at a dinner party with some big wigs and lords and one of the lords wanting to make an example of William Carey said this, Mr. Carey, I hear that you were once a shoemaker. That's like, you know, garbage collector. Carey replied, oh no, my lord, not a shoemaker. I was only a cobbler. A cobbler was one who repaired shoes. You know what? Today, William Carey is known throughout the world in Christian circles because of how he was behind the missionary movement. But no one even knows the name of that Lord. Love is not puffed up. The number fourth thing that love is not, love does not behave itself unseemly. It's not rude. There's acts of kindness, there's good manners, it's gracious. You know, you don't consider a person a, who is rude gracious. Why could we ever go into acts of rudeness? Number five. Love does not seek its own. It prefers others before itself. Paul said in Romans 12.10. In Philippians 2.4, he says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also upon the things of others. It means that you're not self-centered, you are others-centered. Who is the greatest example of being others-centered? Jesus. Never find him being self-centered. That's what love is. Adam Clark, in one of the commentaries I was reading, said, Love is never satisfied, but with the welfare, comfort, and salvation of all. Next one, number six. Love is not easily provoked. Do you get irritated easily? Do people annoy you easily? If someone disagrees with you, do you get easily provoked? The dirty look? The... I can't even do it. Yes. Will you women do that for me? Yes, that's it. 
Can I tell you something? Those dirty looks, those expressions of impatience, that's a control tactic. I'm going to control this person by letting them know I do not appreciate that. Rolling of the eyes. You know, as I was thinking about this, not easily provoked, and I don't want to put, I mean, if I was Moses having to lead these people, I'd have whooped them a long time ago. But there were times when Moses had, like, just had it. And do you remember when the people were so thirsty and they're just complaining, we don't have enough water, don't have enough water, don't have enough water. God said, Moses, give them water. Just go up to the rock. And what was he, what was he to do to the rock? Just speak to it. But he looks at the people. He got so fed up with the people. He said, ye rebels! Shall I bring water out of this rock for you? And he strikes the rock twice. You know what? Because he did that, he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. He got provoked. Number seven. Love thinks no evil. Literally, love does not store up the memory of wrongs that it has received. How many of you have ever been wronged? I've been wronged. You don't store them up. You don't store up those wrongs. You freely forgive. You freely forget. You put it away. Yes, I may have been hurt, but I'm not going to stew on it. I'm going to forgive the person, and I refuse to get bitter. I'm not going to think evil. Boy, that hits us all, doesn't it? Number eight. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. It always stands up. And it always speaks out against iniquity. Why? Because it wants the very best for another person. This is what, this is what we call tough love. Love isn't always patting a person on the back and giving them a hug and saying, hey, it's okay. Love sometimes says, let me tell you something, that was wrong. And there is a consequence for what you have just done. Often that can be the most loving thing that you can do. Seems like no one wants to hold anyone to accountability today. But this is true love. It does hold people accountable for their actions. As children of God, the Bible says we are to love righteousness and hate iniquity. You don't go along with it. That's not love. Number nine. Boy, couldn't we preach a message on every one of these? Just park on them. Number nine, it rejoices in the truth. Does not rejoice in iniquity. Number nine, it rejoices in the truth. It stands with the truth. It stands on the truth. 
Jesus said, ye, are your, ye are of your father the devil, the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. Listen, if you don't stand on the side of truth, whose side are you standing on? You're standing on the enemy's side. The destroyer. And then Jesus went on to say, and you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. So we have two things that love is. We have nine things that love isn't. And now we want to look at five things that love does. And we can do these quickly. Spurgeon called these the five sweet companions of love. Love, say it with me, what does it do? All right, you're not following along with me. What's the next? Love, all right, I'll say it together. Love bears all things. Wouldn't it have been nice for him just to leave out the word all? Love bears all things. Peter put it this way, and above all things, above all things, love bears all things. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity covereth a multitude of sins. Spurgeon went on to say, love does not ask to have an easy life of it. Self-love makes that her aim. Love denies herself, sacrifices herself, that she may win victories for God. Love bears what? Really? Boy, that would knock down the divorce rate. That would eliminate church splits. That would reconcile a lot of relationships. Love bears all things. Number two, love what? Believes all things. That isn't that he's not saying you are to believe everything you hear. No. There's a proverb that goes, a wise man searcheth out a matter, but a fool believes everything he hears. That's, that's, not, that's not what he's saying. Solomon says, the simple believe every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. It simply means this, we're to believe the best about someone. How many of you know someone who always believes the worst? I know him. They always believe the worst about stuff. If you always believed the best, that would shut down a lot of gossip. But there's always those who love to dig up dirt. Sounds like our politicians, doesn't it? Boy, couldn't we use a little bit more love in Washington? I wonder if our president is listening to this message today. He could use a little bit more 1 Corinthians 13. The Democrats certainly could use a good dose of it. You know why we have the problems we have in the world? 1 Corinthians 13 is not a part of our lives. Bears all things, it believes all things. People who habitually want to believe everything that is bad are not the children of love. 
Isn't it interesting how we love to hear something bad instead of something good? Wouldn't you you like to see a news network that just focused on the good things? They won't have any viewers, but that tells you a lot about human nature, doesn't it? The fallen nature of man loves to relish on the worst and pass judgment. Number three, we're almost done. Number three, love hopes all things. Being pessimistic. Aren't pessimistic people a downer to be around? Now, I'll have to admit, my favorite cartoon is not Peanuts. It's Winnie the Pooh. I love Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) You know why I like Winnie the Pooh? Because I can plug some of you into every one of those characters. I, I, yeah, I, my favorite character has to be Eeyore. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> the Bible said, Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. You know why we can be hopeful people and not pessimistic people? Because we serve a God who's in control of everything. Huh? How can you not be optimistic when God said even all things are going to work together for your good? Let's stop being Eeyores. Number four, love endures all things. Most of us can bear all things and believe all things and hope all things, but only for a short time. I think this is probably the greatest aspect of agape love is it keeps on bearing. Some of you have borne with me for almost 40 years. Now that's love. Right, Doug? Yeah, okay. keeps on bearing it keeps on believing I'm only going to believe the best it keeps on hoping my hope is in the Lord it just doesn't give up it doesn't give up I am not going to stop loving you no matter what that's the love of God Number five, it never fails. Never, never, ever, ever, ever fails. No matter what you do to me, no matter what you say about me, I'm going to love you. Do you see how love is not a feeling? If you get married over butterflies... 
they're going to fly away. Hearing his love. Not that we love God, but that he first loved us. I believe this with all my heart. If you're here today and you've never embraced the love of God, it will be impossible for you to love others as he has loved you. When we were yet without strength, he died for the ungodly. If you're here today without Jesus. You know, as I was watching those children run, of course, they only got one speed. I understand that. (laughs) But when I saw them run down the aisle to put their money in the offering plate, and I looked at Isaac, I said, they are so cute. Just the smiles on their faces as they ran to give your money. You know, if I were you and you haven't yet received Jesus as your Savior, I would run to this altar today. And I would bow my knee and I would say, Jesus, thank you for loving me a sinner and demonstrating your love by dying on the cross for me. I love you. Come into my heart and be my Savior. Let's have every head bowed in You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklay.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.